Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 95. And we're super excited and privileged to have Paul Higgins on today. Paul, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here. So, Paul, what we like to start out with is, uh, you know, we like to give people a little bit of background on our guests. So please uh, let, let us know. You can give us as much or as little as you want to share. But, um, you know, maybe where you're born, where you grew up, kind of, you know, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'd love everyone to guess where I'm from, given my accent. I don't think I've got one, but a lot of people tell me I do. So uh, if you pop in the, the chat where you think I'm from, but I am from down under uh, in Australia and uh, I was born in uh, regional Australia, so in the country and uh, did, you know, hard yards first five years uh, growing up on a farm. And then I moved with my father and his career to the, the, the big smoke, to the city which is nothing like some of the cities you have, but, you know, we're around 2 million people here in, uh, in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, dad worked for a, a company that uh, most Americans uh, know and love, which is Coca-Cola. So dad uh, worked there. So we sort of travel a lot uh, with his work. And um, it, it was irony that uh, 18 years later, I ended up, oh, sorry, um, well, it was, yeah, let's say it was roughly 18 years. And then I worked there for 18 years. So I never thought that would happen. But uh, yeah, you know, grew up in the country, moved to the big smoke, still a country boy at heart and uh, had an amazing career at Coca-Cola after following in my dad's footsteps. Awesome. Amazing. Um, yeah. So you, you've probably, so if you grew up in Australia, then you, you've had some of my biscuits, right? And what are they? Anzac biscuits? <laughs> Arnott's cookies. I always make that joke. Isn't there Arnott, isn't there Arnott's cookies in uh, in Australia? It seems like everybody, whenever I, if they're from Australia, they're like, "Hey, do you know the the family that runs Arnott cookies?" I'm like, "No, I have no idea." Tim Tams, <laughs> yeah. hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted well, actually, to Tim Tams. I think uh, it's actually owned now by an American company. So there's, uh, I don't think any of the the uh, large uh, consumer good companies here in Australia are now uh, Australian owned. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, yeah, I, you know, we secretly bought them through a uh, shell corporation uh, in the Bahamas. And so I don't share that very often. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, Paul, so some of the things that we cover here are, uh, you know, anything that has to do with business, but one of the things that I love to cover you know, I always love to have guests on where I feel like I need more work, right? Because it, it's selfish, right? It's like, well, I need to learn systems better. So let's have people who know systems on. I need, you know, need to know how to do accounting better. We have accountants on, you know, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit selfish when it comes to uh, people that, uh, you know, that want to come onto the podcast. So uh, I'm super excited. Um, I would love to, to start out with, uh, you know, time. I feel like I have three small children under the age of eight, uh, time seems like it, uh, you know, I, I always tell people I, as I age, I feel like I'm, I'm a snowball going down the hill and every day is, a, is you know, a blink. So uh, I would love to, to get some insight into, you know, time management and, and uh, you know, as running a, as a small business owner, everybody's always stretched thin when it comes to time. Uh, I would love to hear, uh, you know, how, how you, how entrepreneurs should manage their time more effectively. Yeah, well, look, I suppose it starts with uh, my mum. I mentioned my dad and his career, but my mum was a school teacher and she was incredibly planned and organised. 
And uh, I think I get my basic time management and my list, uh, very much a list person. You know, now it's uh, great because it's on uh, project management software. It's a, a lot easier. But I think I got a lot of my time management uh, skills from mum. And then, you know, you go into the Coke company and, uh, you know, that's a critical thing, especially when you go in as a salesperson. How do you better utilise your time? And a, a quick example for me was when, uh, you know, time... Uh, you know, obviously, when you put up a display of product, the quicker you put up the display, the quicker the product's going to sell, right? So, um, you know, I started in 1993 and mobile phones were, you know, just getting about, but the Coke company said, you know, we can't afford to buy around a mobile phone. I said, no problem. So I went and bought my own. And then I got all my customers to ring me when the stock arrived, right? I said, look, it's going to cost you 80 cents for the call, but I'm going to say, you know, make you a lot more money every bottle we sell. So, you know, they kept wondering why I was winning all the, the sales targets. You know, they thought I'd got the job because of my dad, but they realized that maybe I was, you know, there for my own reasons. And that I think was a great example of how you can uh, leverage your time to get results. So that's sort of where it started. And then Franklin Covey, uh, some of you may have, uh, you know, read the book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read that in about 94, fell in love with the concept of personal effectiveness and personal productivity. And, um, you know, that's sort of just been something that I've done all my life. So it's been a combination of technology and how do you use the latest technology? And isn't it great that we've now got cloud and we're sort of in the, the, uh, the opportunity to do it? and uh, also uh, leveraging people. And, um, you know, if I, the, the biggest thing with time tip that I can give is, I think every business owner should have a computer, a phone, and the third thing is a virtual assistant. I think that is going to be the best combination to help you save time at a high level. So a uh, quick follow-up on that in terms of, uh, you know, having a, a virtual assistant, so many people, you know, they hear that idea everywhere, right? And they go on onlinejobs.ph or Upwork or, you know, one of the, the various uh, freelance platforms and they, um, you know, they, they, they get the, find the VA and, and then they get them onto like a, a Zoom call or a, a, on Skype or, you know, over chat or however it is they're conversing. And then they just kind of stare, you know, they just kind of stare at each other because this person, you know, has no idea of, of, you know, they know they want more help, but they don't even know where to start in terms of, you know, offloading some stuff. So what do you think people have to do before they even have that first interview with that VA? Yeah, look, great question. I think the first thing is the mindset, right? I think a lot of people go for, well, a VA is going to cost me $5 US an hour as a rough rule of thumb. So they go that path. And I think, you know, it's the wrong way to look at it. It's not what it's going to cost you. It's what it's costing you, i.e. what your time is worth, right? So that's the most important thing. So if you're, you know, making $500 an hour, it's a $500 decision, right? It's not a $5 decision, right? So the gap is a lot greater. So, you know, therefore, even at $20 an hour or $50 an hour, it's much better to get someone else to do the things that you shouldn't be doing than you doing them at $500 an hour or, you know, even at $100 an hour, right? So I think that's the first thing, the mindset. Don't go for the cheapest person, right? Just because everyone always talks about this $5 myth of a, a fantastic VA. Yes, they do exist, but it's not where I'd go first. 
right? If you've never had a VA before, there's really three key ways to get a VA. So one is through uh, Upwork or a freelance, right? And I, and I call that, you know, that's, I think that's good for specialist skills, but I don't think that's for ongoing VAs. It's, you know, if you want a database tweaked or you want something specific, I think that's fine. The next is that you go direct. So that's where you're hiring someone, so, you know, like you said, off jobs, P, um, online PH, something like that. But I think once again, you don't want that situation, put yourself in that situation where you're looking at them and thinking, I don't really know what to do, right? I think the third option is going through a provider, an agency, right, where they train the VAs. They then also have an onboarding process for you and they help you get ready to maximize the benefit of a VA. So if you're looking to, you've never used a VA before, I'd certainly recommend the agency path, not the Upwork path or the freelance path. And I would look at it, what's the opportunity cost of your time versus going for the lowest common denominator of trying to get the cheapest person out there. Awesome. So um, in terms of uh, business models, um, you know, what, what are optimum business models to, to scale fast, work less? I assume that uh, includes VA. Yeah, look, I think that the, the, the best business model, or they say that um, compound interest was the best thing that was ever invented. I think, um, I can't always remember. I think it's Einstein that said that. But, you know, ultimately, I think a recurring based business is much better than a lumpy cash flow business, i.e. project based, right? So, you know, a lot of why, you know, people sell uh, on Amazon and, and uh, e-com is because, you know, it's, it's some form of recurring. So you can, i.e. be asleep and still be making money, right? That's, that's the ultimate thing. I don't call it passive because you still got to work for that at some point but you work once and then you get that in spades. And I think that's the business model I love. So a lot of the people I help with originally are doing one-on-one -on -one consulting, which is great. So they build their IP, they build their knowledge, but then I'm saying, okay, there's multiple ways you can now scale that knowledge. So one way might be to do a group program. Another way is maybe to create a membership or an online course. But what you're doing is it's no different to a gym membership, right? You pay the gym membership, but you don't always go there. But when you do, you get value. I think that subscription recurring based business model is fantastic because what a lot of people uh, do, and I must admit, I started with this is trading time for money. But unfortunately, that doesn't uh, blend to your lifestyle, right? My company's called Build, Live, Give because you want to build a business, but the business is first based on what sort of lifestyle you want to live, right? So the lifestyle, so if you've got a recurring model where you don't have to be there to make money, I think that's a great way to go. And then, you know, the, the third thing is uh, give, which is, you know, Build, Live, Give is about giving back because you've got the time to do that because you've got the team, you've got the recurring income. So that's the business model that I recommend. It's not the only one out there, but I think it's a, it's a great one, whether you're selling e-com or whether you're selling uh, some other form of service. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, my favorite recurring uh, revenue stream is software, right? That's my bread and butter. That's what I really, really enjoy. Um, and, you know, I got the first taste of it, uh, you know, when people didn't know what it, what Android was, right? Android phones, I, I built a, uh, developed a bunch of apps for, for Android. And I remember sitting on, uh, you know, next to the pool in Mexico, 
uh, back when that was still running, uh, telling my wife, like, I, I can't believe like, this is an actual thing. Like, you know, we were able to build something, grow it, and then just kind of put it on. I mean, it, like you said, it still took some work. Uh, but in terms of, you know, having it make money while we were sleeping, while we were sitting next to the pool, while we were getting margaritas delivered, you know, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And that's when I was hooked and realized that, you know, the, the, the recurring revenue, uh, model is pretty amazing. And like you said, Amazon does have a little bit of uh, element of that, especially, um, if you've got those systems in place. Yeah. And, and look, you know, I've, uh, I advise some SaaS businesses. I've always wanted to build my own and that's still on my bucket list, but I do advise SaaS based businesses. And yeah, I think it's fantastic. And, and for me, uh, Andy, that the key thing that drove a lot of this change is because of my health. I, I got an inherited condition it's called polycystic kidney disease, but basically my kidneys failed and then I had to uh, go on dialysis and, you know, sitting on dialysis, the reason I left corporate is I knew I was going to have kidney failure and sit on a dialysis machine. What I was doing was basically making money while sitting on a dialysis machine. Right. And I think that's the power of a model like this. Yes, you can be on a beach for me. Unfortunately, it wasn't as enjoyable as a beach. It was on a dialysis machine, but then I went through a transplant, but the whole time I had this solid stream of income coming in that it was spread across hundreds of people rather than being reliant upon a couple of clients. So I think, you know, for me personally, it, it absolutely, you know, I deliberately set up that model because of my health, but, it doesn't have to be because of your health. It can be for other great lifestyle reasons like you just spoke of. I love that you had the foresight to, to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's really great to think about, you know, right now I'm, I'm reading the book, The E-Myth Revisited, and it's talking about how, you know, you really, we, a lot of us try to get out of our job because we're like, man, I'm really good at this. I'll just start my own. And what ends up happening is you start your own job. <laughs> you do you're still a technician and you're not you're not able to get over that hump of actually becoming a business owner so you just kind of end up employing yourself and you you can't get to the point where you're like the visionary and employing the team and and all of that um so you know and i know that's something that every business owner struggles with whether you're running an amazon business whether you're a coach whether you have software um, whether you have a course whatever you're doing real estate whatever you're doing it's hard to not be really good at you know whatever you did before and try and apply that try to still be a worker bee in your own business it's it's really really tough so as a new business owner, what do you think, Paul, are the top five priorities um, I should be working on every day? Yeah, so the uh, in short, I, I wrote a book called Build, Live, Give, and it sort of, you know, it was my transition from corporate into running my own business. So I'll just quickly run through those five key things that I put in the book. So I think the first one is your time, right? So you really need to... Uh, you know, leverage technology, vet, leverage those, um, those people that you can outsource to, to absolutely prioritize your time. So I think that's the number one thing. And, and what does that mean? That means that everything you do, make a call is 
am I the best person in the world to be doing this, right? And if the answer is no, please get someone else to do it, right? And with Oh COVID- man, the, I have answered that question so many times this week in the wrong way. I have said, <laughs> I should not be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm not in the, you know, I'm behind right now. I'm too busy chopping down trees to sharpen the ax. So, you know, I've, yeah, I, I got you. Sorry, please continue. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, so that's the first one. And I've talked about technology in a VR. The next is your ideal client, right? So I think, you know, this is so critical. And it's a bit over uh, overused, but um, I think, you know, just I'm a big believer in niching down, niche, niche, wherever you are in the world. I think it's really important that, you know, someone hits your LinkedIn profile and they know exactly whether this is for them or not. There's so many of us, and I use, uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl just occurred. You know, I use that as stadium concept where you're not trying to fill a whole stadium. In some cases, to begin with, you're trying to fill just a super box, right, of specific people. So make sure that you're very clear on who your um, ideal client is. I think that's critical. I've got some great assets to help do that. So, you know, people can reach out and get those. The, the third is the business model, which we've covered. And I think that just makes it so much easier. If you get that right, well, then a lot of the hard work, because a lot of people say, you know, I'm working really hard. I'm working 50, 60, 80 hours a week. But it's like, well, you know, are you working smart? And that business model helps. So, you know, constantly challenge your business model and constantly evolve that business model. And I think, I think if I can interrupt, uh, I think that for e-commerce business owners, private label sellers, which, you know, is our primary audience here. um, I think that you, they can apply these same concepts because you talked about um, knowing your ideal client. I know many people that do not focus, like when they first get started with a product brand, they try and just launch so many things in a million different categories and they end up spreading themselves very thin. And then that leads to issues with their knowing really their business model and niching down, you know, really, really mastering a niche. And when, when we meet some of the the sellers that have really, really done really, really well, it's because they've been able to just master a niche. So I think that those two things that you just talked about, knowing you know your business model, niching down and knowing what your time is worth and who should be doing what, which will allow you to scale faster and knowing who that ideal client is and not trying to sell everything to everyone it works across any business that you're in, including e-commerce. So that being said, number four. Yeah, and, and sorry, just quick uh, on that, Amy. I think that was the power of the Coke company, right? A lot of people ask me, why has Coca-Cola been around for 150 years? You know, Warren Buffett's made, I think he's 10% shareholder, made a lot of his wealth out of Coca-Cola. Why? And I said, because they do enormous amounts of consumer research before they launch anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was the real power. And, and that is stayed with me. They make sure that they don't come up with a product and then fit it to a consumer. They ask the consumer, you know, they, they really research the consumer as much as they can. I know it's a bit of a cliche, you know, don't put the cart before the horse, but I think I definitely learned that. The, so the fourth one is sales focus, right? We've all got to focus on sales. So whether you're an e-com business, a service-based business, whatever you are. And to me, there's sort of five key 
elements to that. And I'll just quickly go through those. So first is your marketing assets, right? Like what have you got that's unique that draws you? So even from an e-com brand perspective, what's your positioning? You know, what, what have you got that draws people to you, right? So that's the awareness piece. The next is around your sales funnel, right? And, you know, for e-com, obviously it's the, the customer journey, for a lot of service-based businesses, it's, you know, what, what a lot of people do, I think, is take the offline approach online. I'm like, no, no, no. You can actually digitize a lot more of your sales funnel now. You can have masterclasses. You can have webinars. You know, you can have online quizzes and assessments. There's a lot of things you can do now to, sh to make sure that people like, know, and trust you rather than face-to-face. The next one is, you know, why, why not mine your existing clients? Like from an e-com business at Coke, we used to as a rep, you'd walk in and what you do is look at all the products that they had, their demographic of who came in the store. You'd look at all the products they got and then look at what you already had in your portfolio that they weren't selling, right? So that's a no-brainer. So how do you sell more to, to existing clients. And I often just, you know, list all my clients, all the products that I could sell them and just fill the boxes in, right? It's a simple activity, but a lot of people miss that. Then new client acquisition, which, you know, that is, you know, how most people will grow their businesses through that. I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but that's something that, you know, we do a lot of it for service-based businesses off LinkedIn. And, um, you know, obviously there's different ways for e-com. And, and the last one is your systems and your support, right? So, you know, these days, if you don't have a, a sales CRM, I think you're missing an opportunity. Google Sheets is not a sales CRM, right? Uh, I think, you know, you need a dedicated platform. And the other one is, like I said, 50% of sales is admin, get someone in to do it. And the, the last one is high-performing team. And, you know, that's really building that team because I, I think Michael Hyatt says it really well. And you mentioned it before, Amy, if you don't have a team, you've got a job. Yes, I love that. And it goes back to what should you be spending your time doing? And then something else that you said, you talked about you all the customer research that, um, that Coca-Cola does before their launch. And I think that that is something that Amazon sellers struggle with because what we have done in e-commerce, what we teach in e-commerce and not Andy and I don't teach this, but in, in general, what you learn in these e-commerce courses is to start with the product, find a product to sell. Well, that's backwards. <laughs> you should start with the customer and find out what they need, right? And like you were saying, fill in the boxes. As Grant Cardone says, I'm going to find my buyer. Before I do anything, I'm going to find my buyer, right? So I, I love that, you know, we, we're bringing it back to that constantly. And, and for e-commerce sellers, if you're stuck in the product research phase, it might be because you're too focused on products and not focused enough on customers. If you do some customer research and you learn what customers in your niche like, you're going to discover opportunities like never before that aren't on the market for them that you can offer. And so that's just, that's the basics. So speaking of LinkedIn, we all know that, you know, the power of LinkedIn I use the power of LinkedIn to expand my sales beyond Amazon. That's how I reach out to buyers. It's really a great, easy way to do things. So 
what do you think, how, how can people get quality leads from LinkedIn? Yeah, well, because uh, my name is Paul, I came up with the three Ps, right? So uh, I'll mention them quickly and then I'll go into to each. So profile, posting, and possibilities. So they're my three P. So I don't know, Amy or Andy, the last time that you went to search for someone, where did you go? So if you're about to have a meeting with someone, where do you normally go to research them? Um, for me, it's for sure LinkedIn. Yeah, I look, I do Google because I like to see what their, their web footprint is um, and anywhere they've been mentioned. And then, of course, I look them up on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I use the search bar at the top of LinkedIn. Great. And, and often on Google, I know for many people, their actual LinkedIn profile ranks above anything else, right? So it often, um, now e-com, that may be different, but I, I know definitely for me, you know, I'm in just in the top 10 of my page and, you know, I've got lots of assets. I've got my book, I've got my podcast, but my LinkedIn profile is number one. So make sure your LinkedIn profile is the window into your world, right? There's so many things that, you know, I, I talk to someone and then I look at their LinkedIn profile. I'm like, it's heckle. Um, you know, uh, you know what I'm trying to say, Jekyll and Hyde. It's, it's just completely different. So I think your LinkedIn profile is such a powerful tool these days. And, you know, it used to be for corporates only. And I think now B2B business, it's the place to be. And, you know, Gary V, you know, 2019 and said, if you're not on uh, LinkedIn for B2B business, you, you're not doing it right. So yeah. I think, you know, uh, and, and in your profile, I'll just quickly go through a couple of key things, four key things. First is, if you're driving down the highway and you look at a banner, right, on the side of the road, you know how some are fantastic and some aren't, right? What you want is the top of your LinkedIn header, right, to be like a banner, just thinking that someone's driving past to create awareness, right? And I'll often look at it and it's got you planted all over it, right? You know, Coca-Cola doesn't have a just a big bottle of Coke all the time. They're promoting themselves. It's the same with your header, it's attracting your consumer, right? Or your clients. It's not about you. Okay. So on the header, make sure that you, you know, I've got my methodology on how I do things, but I've also got who I help, right? So I think it's really important to do that. And um, if you want to look at my profile, you can just go to blgprofile.com and it'll instantly take you to my LinkedIn profile. The next is the uh, headline. Right, so it's your key headline statement, and I think it's simple. Just people want to box you. So what are you? So I'm a sales mentor. So just make that easy for them, because everywhere you go, your footprint, they'll see that first. And then I help X through Y to achieve Z. You do your version of that, but once again, it makes it really clear who you help, who you're talking to. The next section is the featured. A lot of people miss this, but there should be three key things in your feature. One is your story. I cannot tell you how many people get on a call and say, I love your story. It's amazing. It's one of the reasons why I'm having this conversation with you. And you don't have to talk about yourself in the call, right? Because I already know it. So I think that's really powerful. You can get from them. The second is a client testimonial. And the third is a really good post that is very similar to what you do. And then the about section is the last important one. And the about section is making sure that it is talking to your clients. I actually say thanks for coming to my profile. It's like when you first meet someone at a cafe, right? You don't go in and say, would you like to buy this, 
right? You have a conversation with them. The about section is the conversation, right? And then the experience is where you say exactly what you do. So I think on your profile, they're the key things. I love that. I'm, I'm, I just brought up my profile. I couldn't help myself. And I got some great tips from you. And so I'm definitely going to be implementing those. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. And I've got uh, uh, blgdownload.com. You can get, um, I've got uh, nine elements of your LinkedIn profile that you can improve. So you can go and get that. Uh, the next one's the post. So uh, ultimately with LinkedIn, uh, the, the posting is based on a, an algorithm, okay? And, you know, there's lots of views on the algorithm, but uh, as we know it, it's uh, 50 likes, 20 comments in the first 60 minutes. If you hit around those numbers, you're going to get much. So, for example, I've got about 16,000 uh, followers on LinkedIn. I'll do a post just by myself with not looking to get the 50, 20, 60, and I might get 500, 700 views. If I do it getting the 50, 20, 60, I will get anywhere between you know, 10 to 100,000 views, right? So on your posting, content matters. Don't get me wrong, content matters in the way that you do it. But the most important thing is getting those 50 likes and 20 comments in the first uh, 60 minutes. Wow. So how do you recommend getting those likes and comments? Do you, is it in the content that you're posting? So you're encouraging someone to leave a comment. I know Andy, sometimes on his LinkedIn, he'll post little, um, he posts little uh, like surveys and to give a like or a heart if you agree or disagree with something. And so that's, I think his hack to get more engagement on his posts. Uh, but do you have any recommendations to help us get that 50-20 rule? Look, that's definitely one of them and great tip. You know, like ask people to comment. I've always got a question. I recommend every post has a question, right? Because comments we think is worth double what a like is, right? So the more comments you get, the greater the chance that your post will be shared, A, within your own connections, but B, in the hashtags that you mentioned. Right. And, and what, are have, the, what are yeah. the benefits to having more followers on LinkedIn? Yeah. So it's like when we marketed at Coca-Cola, right? 50% of your marketing works, 50% doesn't, but you don't know which 50, right? And it's the same thing. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I met a guy 10 years ago when, when I left Coke or nine years ago. Uh, great guy. He's now gone on to build a very successful investment bank in Australia I wrote a post about uh, questions you should ask in a sales call last year. And he contacted me, said, I love the post. You know, um, why don't we work together? And now he's a client of mine. You know, you just never know who's viewing your post. Not everyone likes, not everyone comments, but that viewership is an incredible power. And, and last year alone, I got 1.5 million views. It turned into over 150 new clients. So yes, some people say views are vanity, but to me, you just don't know who's watching those posts. And that's where the digital referral happens these days, rather than the old word of mouth that was, you know, um, through networking. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. 
sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.